0: got your Bible or some device, you'll be looking at the Scriptures with us. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16. As you're either typing or turning to Acts chapter 16, if you haven't been with us um, before or not very often, we tend to be uh, preaching our way through um, a book of Scripture, a week after week, chapter after chapter, um, until we've completed it. So we've been in Acts uh, really since September and have uh, a ways to go. As a means of a little bit of recap, um, we are on Paul's second missionary journey at the moment, being sent out from the church in Antioch for the second time. Um, last week, we saw his original team that he was sent out with on the first missionary journey with Barnabas has now split into two teams uh, because of a disagreement that Paul and Barnabas had on... John Mark, um, who was Barnabas's cousin, whether he was fit for the work after having deserted them on the first trip. Um, and so we, we walked through, you know, what it looks like um, to, to have those sort of breaks in, in ministry and how we continue to pursue reconciliation because ultimately John Mark was restored both to ministry and to Paul down the road. Now, we're some 20 years um, past uh, the ascension of Jesus roughly, um, so we're, we're, Acts itself will cover about 30 years, so we're about two-thirds of our way through that, um, and so last week, um, as I referenced as we began this, this service this morning, um, Paul and his team were given a couple of no's of, no, you can't go here, no, you can't go here, and so they have worked their way around, and they're entering um, what is modern-day Europe, uh, Greece, uh, Macedonia area, for the first time, um, where they were told no is, ev- is eventually ministered to uh, by Peter. And So we have uh, the, the book of First Peter who's written to the churches in that area where Paul was not able to serve, but Peter eventually did. And so let's pick up in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. We're going to stop there momentarily. And so, as these men have worked their way, right, through modern-day Turkey, right, they've come now to the the port and have now made a two-day voyage, stopping at Samothrace, which is an island, and then landing in Neapolis, which is modern-day Kavala, support city in Greece. And Macedonia as a district was divided, or Macedonia was divided into four districts. And so Philippi was one of the kind of leading cities of one of the districts. Philippi is where Paul will write the letter of Philippians, right, to this church. And it was a former kind of Greek city that has become a Roman colony, which means it has a lot of rights under Rome. And it was repopulated with a lot of retired soldiers. And so it's a city that has, although Greek influence, is now really, really strategically Roman. Um, and so there's a lot of allegiance to Rome there um, because of the, the military that has been resettled. And there's, we, we see that there wasn't a synagogue, although Paul continues his pattern of looking for the Jews first and then the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Um, most likely is they're gathering next to this river as a place to pray because there's not a synagogue. A synagogue required at least 10 Jewish males. So it tells us that the, the Jewish population was was obviously small, and we only are engaged here with, with some women at this point. And so he goes out to meet them, and he meets specifically a woman named Lydia, who was not from the area. right? She was from across the Aegean Sea. Um, this, this city is also in, in Turkey. It's written as one of the seven churches that Paul, or sorry, that are, are written letters in Revelation. So in Revelation 2, you can read more about the church that it would eventually emerge there. And it, she is described as a worshiper of God, right? So this means this is a, a non Jewish woman who has b- begun to believe in the one true God. Right, she is following much of the law, but not all of the law. So she hasn't become a Jewish convert, right? She's simply honoring, following, and trusting, right, the Jewish God. And so as they're out, um we know she's most likely kind of a wealthier woman. She sells purple goods which were more expensive. Um, and that she has a home that we're gonna find out later that people are gonna spend time in. So she had some 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 excess wealth here and as she hears the gospel as she asks right and hears the gospel says the lord opens her heart right to hear it to receive it to respond to it that paul is simply following his pattern he's with jews and he's, he's telling them hey here's what we know right he's Here's the history of the Jewish people. Here's the truth of who Jesus is. Here's the hope that he brings. And it says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. Like the, the Lord right is drawing her into salvation. It is the prayer that we pray right whenever we're meeting in gospel communities, whenever we're the gathering on Sunday mornings, whenever we have the opportunity to preach or to speak or to talk or to have lunch with someone about Jesus. The prayer we're asking is this, right? God, open their hearts. I, it is not the winsomeness or the talent or the ability of any of us in the ability to debate or to argue or to, to be winsome in our preaching or in our conversation that someone finally goes, OK, all right, you know, you've got me there. You've pinned me. Jesus, right? It is the Lord opening hearts and eyes and minds to believe. It's so the Lord does this here for Lydia she hears the message and she responds and, and, and is baptized. She wants her family, her household to hear it as well. And then she says, listen, if, if you have judged me to, like, to be faithful, I'll come stay with me. Come to my house. I want to be hospitable and care for your team. Right? And so she was able to encourage and to bring them to doing this. We see in verse 15. And so we're going we're gonna to pick up and continue. Because Luke is going to give us several conversion stories here. Verse 16. And as we were going to the place of prayer, right? So they're returning to where they met Lydia. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and us. Remember, Luke is with them at this point, crying out. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so... They are still in Philippi ministering. They're headed back out to where they've had some success. They're looking to to potentially to minister to those folks or to additional folks. And this slave girl. Right. Who is possessed, just begins to follow. Right. And apparently she did this multiple times over multiple days. Right. Crying out. Right. Like these are men of the most high God. Right. They know the way of salvation. It sounds like she's speaking truth, right? But you can imagine um, in a crowd in a city right, where where this woman would have been known, where she is one who is uh, prognosticating and, and giving uh, future, like uh, fortune telling. Um, she's probably viewed as crazy, right? And this wasn't necessarily someone who's coming by like like John the Baptist, heralding saying, "There's the Christ." Right, like in a way that would be like drawing attention in a positive light. This would have been negative light, negative attention. Where she is kind of muddying the waters because they were already um, a, a, an area in a, in a place in history where many gods were worshipped. Where there were many thoughts of how salvation could come. Many gods to be honored or to be worshipped. And so in, in this sort of Greek-Roman mythology, uh, Apollo had killed Uh, a python right in order to create an oracle at delphi and so there was this expectation this kind of understood part of the system was that there were those who were practitioners of this who would be able to tell the future and so right generals would want this information as they're going into battle right um Men would want this, right? As they're, as they're traveling. Women would want this, right? Like th- this is something that you could go and pay and, and gain money from. But it was demonically influenced and inspired. And we see that her owners here do not care about her, right? Because as soon as Paul commands the spirit to go, they're not like, oh, good, you're free, right? They're like, hey, how are we going to make money? That they were using this young woman. Listen, Luke doesn't give us insight into this. But the question that I have is, like, why did it take Paul several days? Like, I don't know why Paul didn't do this immediately. But when he does, right, when he says, like, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. that the, de- the demonic spirit, it did. Like, that she was released and freed at this point. We saw in in Luke chapter Four and in Luke chapter eight last year that there were multiple times that the demon possessed folks would come up to Jesus and that the demons would recognize him and they would call out and say, "This is what is true about him and they would we'll say like hey don 't bother us, leave us alone or are you here to uh, afflict us right because they saw and recognized. Jesus, so it may have even been that this demon is saying these are servants of the Most High God. They do know salvation, and yet because it's coming from this source, right, you're going to think it's nonsense. That they're looking to just muddy the water. And so the issue that actually comes here in Philippi is the men are angry because they've lost their source of income. Right, but they're not going to go whine to the authorities about money, right? So they grab them. In verse 19, they seize Paul and Silas. Um, Luke and some of the rest of the team seem to not be involved here. Drag them to the marketplace before the rulers. And then here's the accusation they make in verse 20. First, they go into bigotry. They say, these men are Jews, right? Like they they quickly want to say, hey, they're not of us. They're not locals. These are foreigners. These are Jews. Okay, so they're going to go ahead and make sure that that's heard first, And then they say they are disturbing our city. The only disturbance that has taken place is that a slave girl has been freed from demonic possession. But as they've heard the message, they know, they say in verse 21, they are advocating customs that are not lawful for us. For Romans to accept or to practice, right? Rome was expected to worship, right, the Caesar. And they weren't, right, new religions had to kind of go through an approval process to become like government-sanctioned. And most of the time, as long as you're not keeping people from paying their taxes or telling them not to worship Caesar, right, they would just kind of let it fly. But technically, right, as a new religion, as a new faith system, right, they weren't recognized yet. And so they, they come and they're saying, listen, they're, they're disturbing our city, they're disturbing our peace, they're wanting us to follow Jesus, right? And Jesus wants allegiance alone, it's unlike what we do. And so the crowd in verse 23 start attacking them. You can imagine now a mob scene beginning to take place where people are, are saying, Yeah, yeah, I heard this down by the river. I saw him do this or I heard this. And they're all beginning to pile on. And so the magistrates, right, tore their garments off them and had them caned. Rome had multiple ta- ways of beating people with um, sometimes with, with whips or cords, sometimes with chains, right? Sometimes with canes. This one was kind of viewed as, hey, this is one of the the less severe, although I don't want to get beaten with a cane, right? But they're saying, hey, this is an admonition for you to stop. We suggest you don't do this anymore. And so we're going to publicly shame you and beat you, and then we're going to throw you in jail overnight, right? Maybe that'll be sufficient for this. It's going to quiet the crowd, and it will stop this from continuing, So we see in verse 24, having received this order, the jailer put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so Luke is just letting us know, like, they are being watched, they're being held, they've been beaten. So let's continue. Pick up in verse 25. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Like what a what a powerful scene, right? Like these men who have been caned, publicly beaten, mocked, right, humiliated, have been put in prison, locked. Legs are locked. Like nothing about this is enjoyable. Nothing about this is positive. And yet at midnight, right, instead of like groaning because of the beating that you've taken, instead of crying out that you're innocent, instead of right um, griping about the unfairness of the situation, they are singing hymns to the lord they are praying out to the lord like they are they're worshiping in church this morning would we be reminded that when our circumstances are not what we want them to be that we are armed right with with songs and scripture and hymns and psalms right that we cry out and say listen lord here's what i'm feeling but here's what's true Right? Here's what I think right now, but here's what I know to be true. We see this um, all throughout the Psalms, especially one that we, we refer to back often as Psalm 22. Right? Where it's, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Like, people wag their faces at me. Like, the, I, I'm, I'm but a, a worm. I'm not a man. And yet, after every kind of, like, groaning, emotional exclamation... The psalmist then says, but God, here's who you are. Here's what's true about you. Oh, but here's what I'm feeling. Oh, but here's what's tr- like. You see him fighting this saying, here's what I feel, but here's what's true. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful practice for us to go. We can feel angry or depressed or forlorn or forsaken. But what do we know to be true? And how do we battle those emotions with truth? Listen, Paul and Silas were actually beaten. That does hurt. They were aching. They were probably wanting to groan. And yet what they're saying is, but God, here's who you are. And we're singing to you because we know Jesus, like you took a beating for us. Like, God, thank you that right, like, that we could take one in your name. Like it, it would be counterintuitive. And yet that's what's taking place here. And you can imagine others in the prison and the jailer going like these dudes are Crazy. This, nothing's normal about this. Like, what is wrong with these men? And so you're having those thoughts run through your head of like, hey, I'm tied up too. I'm not singing. And the jailer being like, shut up, I want to sleep. And an earthquake hits. And doors are opened and bonds are broken. And we know that in, in Roman culture, that if prisoners escape... Whoever lets them escape is subject to whatever punishment the the escapee had. And so if you have a whole prison, a whole jail full of folks escape, what's the jailer knows going to happen? I'm going to lose my life. And so in the midst of this, right, where we're in other times so far in Acts, we've seen, right, those who are being rescued leave. The spirit obviously, right, kept Paul and Silas there, even though they could have left. And so we don't know is do they hear the jailer pull a sword do we hear him cry out in fear or in doubt of what am I going to do? And then they hear like, like him unsheath a sword and that Paul says, no, 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 we're here. Don't harm yourself. And that he calls for lights and goes running in to see that they're actually there. And trembling with fear, he falls down, right? Why? Why does he fall in fear? Probably because the divine nature of an earthquake as these men are singing to God plays huge in this. The message that Paul and Silas are obviously sharing that he has potentially heard in the weeks prior in Philippi. The, the truth of the songs that they're singing. The conversation that they're having with other prisoners. Right? Maybe even his own instincts that this is unjust. Like, what do these men actually do? Like, why are they... Here, this feels unfair. But for whatever combination of all those things, he falls down and says, I want to know God. And they th- listen, they don't look at him and say, you're good. Jesus died on the cross for us. You're good. Like it's it's automatic. They tell him about Jesus and they call him to trust and to follow and to obey like they share. Listen, um, in, in verse Um. 30, he asked, what must I do to be saved? And in verse 31, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his home. Right? They're not like going, why did you throw us in jail? Why did you do this? They're just saying, here's who Jesus is. Here's why we were able to sing tonight. Here's why we have hope, even in the midst of the beating that we took today. That he heard and responded to the beauty of, Of who Jesus is. The good news. That there is a God. Who knows us. And who cares for us. And even though we have rebelled. And turned from him. And walked to our own ways. Believing our way was good. That he sent Jesus to rescue us. And to make things right. And where we couldn't. Jesus has through his life. And his death. And his resurrection. It says now you can know this God. And be at peace with this God. Because of Jesus. Would you trust him. And the jailer and his family say, yes, we want this. And I love verse 33. And so he took them the same hour of the night. It's the middle of the night. And he washes and bandages their wounds. Like gives just care to their bodies as they've been beaten just hours before. But then look what happens. After this has taken place and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Like he's washing physical wounds on their body. And yet he is being baptized because his wounds, his sin, his fear, his doubts, his rebellion has been rescued and freed and washed away by Jesus. That it's not his body that's going to take wounds. Right? It was Jesus' body that did. And so he doesn't need wounds cleaned here, but he had something far more deep it had separated from him, had separated him from God, and he is being baptized here to say, "I trust, I delight, and I treasure in Jesus, and I am free now." You were bound but free; I was unbound but not free, and now I am. Right, like what a beautiful moment is he cares for them, and they have brought the hope and the truth and the gospel of Jesus to them. And can you imagine then the mill? Look at verse 34. So he brings them into his home and he sets food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. It's the middle of the night. An earthquake has just happened and they're having a meal saying God is good. Like what a beautiful moment is this man had gone to work that night thinking it's just another night and the Lord intervenes in his life. And rescues him. What a powerful and beautiful moment. Right? You know, Paul and Silas are saying, Luke might want to write this one down. Right? Like, this this one's crazy. And so, you can almost see, like, there's this, like, beautiful holy bubble that then gets burst when the police show up. And they're like, hey, go ahead and let those guys out. And the jailer's like, ah, they're actually eating in my house right now. Um, hey, Paul, you can go free. Like, what is, like, God has rescued you. And strangely, Paul says, no, nah, I don't think so. They beat us publicly. We were uncondemned. There was no trial. We were Roman citizens. They threw us into prison, and now they want us to walk out secretly? I don't think so. Uh-uh. They can come get me. You're going, this, like, why? Like, why would Paul be so adamant in this part to just not just walk out and say, hey, the Lord did something beautiful here. I'm glad to take a beating. I'm glad glad to be in prison if it meant that this jailer um, has become a believer in his family. Why is Paul saying, I don't think so. You come apologize. One was because he was a Roman citizen. And they had been treated unjust. A Roman citizen cannot be imprisoned Or beat without a trial. And so if you claim to be a Roman citizen and you aren't, you can be killed for that. And so they now know this dude is a Roman citizen and we have messed up. We assumed when these men came and told us they're Jews, right, that they're disturbing the peace. We just assumed, right, that they were not of our kind. But what Paul knows is he's not staying in Philippi over the long haul. But there is a brand new fledgling church that has just been born. And if these men have to come and apologize and own what they've done publicly, it is going to give some protection to the church. That they're not going to be broken and persecuted just for having associated with Paul. Now listen, if it's because of Jesus, it's like, I can't do anything about that. But I'm not going to let you like try to stamp this thing out. If you have to come and say, we were wrong in our treatment of these people, it kind of gives some affirmation to the church that is now being born here in Philippi. He's doing it for their... Sake. And so in Luke's or in, sorry, in Acts 16, Luke gives us these three kind of just powerful stories of God breaking in and doing tremendous things. Listen, the circumstances of this for the slave girl weren't good. The circumstances for Paul and Silas weren't good. And yet we see them responding with truth. Not groaning, not begging, not complaining, not cursing, but saying Jesus is alive. So he's hearing our songs. Jesus is alive. He's receiving our prayers. Jesus is alive. He can get us out of here. Cue earthquake. Cue the Spirit of God saying, no, stay here. I've got something else for you to do, even though you could walk out. Like it's this expectation woven through the story of Acts. That Jesus, because He is resurrected and ascended to heaven, He is hearing our songs and our prayers. He is working. He is moving. He is bringing the church to fruition. And church, that has not stopped. That He hears your cries this morning. He hears your confession this morning. He hears your praise and your songs this morning. He sees your circumstances, he receives your prayers, and he is at work in your lives in the midst of your circumstances. Whether right now they are beautiful and you love them, or whether they are tremendously difficult. That he is at work in the midst of our circumstances. I want you to think for even just a moment, have you ever been encouraged, right, by someone else's story? By their, their faith in the midst of circumstances? Of course, right? We have our, these folks that, whether they're heroes of the faith or our peers or folks that we've known well or even just incidentally, that we have been encouraged by how God has used others. This morning, would we be reminded that even what God is doing in the midst of our circumstances is sometimes not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. Listen, Paul and Silas took a beating, and yet it was right gain because of what the Lord did through it. They wouldn't say, hey, I want to get beat again, but they probably would if it meant that others would come to faith. Could we view our own circumstances, not just for what, how it impacts us, but what God might be doing as a useful tool for those around us? That life is bigger than me and mine and what's happening in my life. But that as he roots me in him, as he gives me solid ground to stand on, if he, as he gives me faith, in the, like, it is an encouragement to those around me. And not just for me, but for all of us. You don't know how much many of your stories have been in encouragement to many others in the room. That as we trust that God is good, that He is bringing good from situations that aren't, that He is using it, that we would be willing and available for our circumstances to point to His glory and our trust in Him. And then one, one final thought from this morning. Listen, we, we, we see clearly that Lydia was saved. We see clearly that the jailer in his household was saved. It appears, although it is not clear that the slave girl, um, it is not articulated that she was saved, as Luke has clumped these together, he seems to be insinuating that she also came to faith. Right? That we have Lydia, a slave girl, and a jailer. And I want you to think for just a moment. You have Lydia, a wealthy woman, an immigrant, right? Not from here. Who was at a religious service, at a gathering, saved in a pretty typical manner of right here preaching, respond to Jesus. And then in comparison, we have not a wealthy woman, but a slave girl. who was most likely Greek and local, not an immigrant. Who was not religious, but was involved in the occult. Right? Who has an act of mercy given to her. So that then she could hear the gospel. And she doesn't see it in a typical manner. But it's kind of a power encounter. And then we have this middle class Roman. Right? Most likely pretty secular. Right? Who doesn't have a power encounter. Who doesn't hear it in preaching. But sees an example of the faithfulness of others. That then draws them to asking the question. What do I have to do to have that? Like These three... Are all a part of the same church in Philippi. We see the gospel tearing down walls quite literally, right, in the prison, but also literally, like the racially, socially, ethnically, um, status in the community that we have these folks coming together, right, sitting down and going, Man, I have nothing in common with you. Oh, but Jesus. But Jesus, I was a slave, you're wealthy, you jailed people. Right, I'm from here, you're not, you're Roman. Like that God is uniquely bringing these folks together like Paul would have seen in Antioch, bringing this multi-ethnic body together. And I want us to be reminded that whether it was the occult or the Lydia, who was religious, the gospel was the same for both of them. One of them didn't step in and go, I have a little more of a step up because my story is cleaner than yours. They needed Jesus, Period. And so it doesn't matter our our background or our circumstances or where we've come from. Jesus puts us on equal footing. That we become one family, one body together in Christ. We need Him. And that they are shockingly, shockingly now a family together. Listen. Would we leave this morning being reminded once again that God is able to open hearts and open eyes and open minds that as he did for Lydia as he did for the the jailer as he did for the slave girl that he is able to do that in both typical and non-typical ways. Would we be asking the Lord to do this? Would we pray with expectancy? Expectantly, right? And so that we could tell people boldly trust in the Lord, follow him believing him. Because he's alive, that he will minister and meet and reveal himself. Listen, Acts continues. And it will continue until Jesus splits the sky and returns for us. And so we want, right, to play the role of Paul and Silas. And then Lydia, as she, right, she becomes the, place, the meeting place. Verse 40, they went out of the prison and visited Lydia and had seen the church. They encouraged them. Into, like, we want to, the Philippian jail, or the jailer immediately just begins to care for them. Lydia opens up her home. Like, we want to be responsive to what the Lord is doing until he comes for us. Trusting that he will save folks who seem really close but are, are not there yet, like Lydia Folks who seem really disinterested like the jailer or folks who seem like they will never get there because they're so far gone like the slave girl. That we need the hope and rescue of Jesus. Would we say thank you to the Lord this morning for those of you who know him? And would we cry out with expectant hearts that he would do that for those who are our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, and strangers because Jesus is alive and his gospel is good news for all of us. Listen, the band is going to come back up We're going to sing and end in worship to our God who hears us this morning. But also the Lord's Supper is set up across the room. For those of you this morning who trust Jesus as your Savior, who know it's not your wounds, but his wounds that have rescued you. That he has made you at peace with God. That you can take the cup, right, symbolizing his blood spilled on our behalf, and take the cracker, his body broken on our behalf, so that we can be right and at peace With Jesus. Right. So I'm going to pray for us. And then we will respond with worship. Through song. Through the Lord's Supper. And there will be men and women. If you need someone to visit with. In the back of the room. Father thank you. Thank you that you save. In both typical and atypical ways. Thank you that. That our background. And our circumstances. Are not what define us. But you do. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, that you bring those of us who were religious but didn't know you and those who were far from you together into one family. None of us have a step up, but we have what in in common that you have rescued us and we needed you. So, Lord, this morning, would you call those who do not know you to trust you, that they would ask the question, what must I do to know Jesus? God, for those of us who have folks that we love and care for and desperately want to see to come to faith, would we pray to a living God today and expect you to do a great and mighty work? And Father, would we be willing to be those who open up our homes, to be bold in sharing, to point to you in our life, and our circumstances? In your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.